Split Open, a novel, published 2014, I was 44. Who did he think he was, accusing me of taking his gin, reading my mother's letters without my permission, talking to me with such contempt when he was the one who was ruining our lives with all his lying and hiding and drinking. I wanted to scream out into the world that I was hurt and lonely and angry and sad that I felt broken beyond repair. I wanted to scream out to other hurting women to hang in there because heaven will surely be better than this, right? Right? It has to be. I wanted to scream at Mitch that he has hurt me so desperately and continues to do so in his lack of pursuing, in his lack of a spine, in his lack of taking this life and his marriage seriously. I wanted to scream out to him that he's missing out on so much more with me. Why can't he just see me and love me and stop hurting me? Why can't he just stop drinking, just stop hurting himself, just stop killing our family? But I knew I would never say any of those things to him, not because I couldn't, not because it would be inappropriate or harsh, No, because there would be no point. So I screamed other things, needed things, hurtful things. If Jesus were taking sides, he's so beyond mine on this one. I thought to myself and smirked, knowing I wasn't being theologically correct. It helped me catch a breath. I think he took my smile for calming down. I went in for the kill. I threw out the roses you gave me last week. I said through clenched teeth, I don't want your flowers, Mitch, and I don't want chocolates. And what was that with that stupid bracelet? I asked, not actually wanting an answer. I don't want flowers. I want repentance. I don't want candy. I want you to stop lying to me. I don't want jewelry. I want to be able to trust you. I want a husband who isn't always drunk. I was trembling. I finished with, you may think you're trying, but when you keep doing all the wrong things, you might as well not bother with that other stuff at all. Getting those things off my chest felt simultaneously delicious and horrifyingly guilt-inducing. By the way, did someone tell you to do all this? I can't imagine you came up with it on your own and without letting him answer. Either way, just stop it. Stop. He picked up the paperweight on my desk, the one my father had given me when he retired from the newspaper. He held it in his hands, moving it back and forth from one hand to the other. I couldn't tell what he was thinking. Honestly, I couldn't tell if he were thinking anything at all. But then his back stiffened and his eyes zeroed in. And as if in slow motion, I watched him as he threw it against the wall. I froze as I heard a whirring sound while it missed my head by about an inch. If he'd been sober, it would have hit me, I thought. If he'd been sober, he wouldn't have thrown it. What the hell was that? I whispered. In the moments right after my husband acts unbecomingly, I die just a little bit more. I can go from working on a project to a huge argument to utter fear within seconds. I can go from this relationship is livable and I'm going to make it through another day being married to I want my marriage to disappear. I can't stand this man like that. 
My heart was pounding so loudly I could hear it in my ears. For a few moments, I just sat. I looked at him. I looked at him with hatred. I wanted him out of my life with everything in me. Get out, I whispered through clenched teeth. You make me sick, I thought. But then something in his eyes made me soften my gaze, and I looked at him again, really looked at him. As angry as I was, compassion began to well up when I realized that he looked scared of himself, maybe. He turned around and walked out without saying a word, without, therefore, an apology, without, therefore, making sure I was okay. I heard the door slam and his car start and peel out of the driveway. And by the way, I said to the remnants of our worst argument yet, happy anniversary, honey. I sat shaking for a few minutes, waiting for my breathing to return to normal. Some branches of the weeping willow tree just outside my window swayed against the house. I wished the tree would just fall down around me. I let my head land on my desk and all I could think was, Jesus, help. Jesus. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the All That To Say podcast. Around here, we talk about the hard stuff because I've been through a lot of it and so have you. And therapy has been a monumental part of my coping and my healing since I was in my early 20s. Well, BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time, schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. And if your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash all that to say. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all that to say. Holidays for the Hurting, 25 Devotions to Help You Heal, published in 2015, I was 45 years old. Joy. I did not want to write today when I saw that the next topic on my list was joy. In fact, I closed the document and went on to do some other tasks and even went for a walk. Anything to not have to write about joy today because I am not feeling joyful. And then I realized, neither are you more than likely. So perhaps when I don't feel joy is the perfect time to write about joy. Because joy is not a feeling. Joy is not based on a circumstance. Joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is a choice. Joy can come in the middle of pain. Joy can come in the middle of sadness. 
Joy can come in the middle of weariness. Joy comes in the morning. Today I am sad and confused. I am struggling to see hope in my future. I so wish this weren't the case. I wish I were steadier in all things, no matter what was going on around me, but this is my reality. And today I'm wondering, what are you feeling, dear friend? Are you sad, confused? Is hope evading you? Are your circumstances swirling? Are you unsteady? Then these are the circumstances in which you are best able to lean into Jesus, which sets the foundation for joy seeping into your soul. I am a firm believer that joy comes from gratitude. So in the midst of your painful situation right now, I want you to pause and thank Jesus for every single good thing in your life that you can think of, big and little. Nothing is too small to thank him for. He is our good gift provider. I'll start you off. Jesus left heaven for you. Jesus was born of a virgin for you. Jesus lived a spotless life for you. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus came back to life for you. Jesus hears you. Jesus sees you. Jesus knows you. Jesus holds you. Jesus plans to redeem your pain. Jesus heals you. Jesus loves you, this we know. Jesus, dot, dot, dot. Keep going, what else has Jesus done for you? Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Unraveling, Hanging on to Faith Through the End of a Christian Marriage, published 2013, I was 43, hurts. I'm thinking about some of the men in my life and how they influenced my views of the world, but more importantly, of myself. Here are some of the harder messages I have received from men. You are not worth committing to. I don't love you enough to stay. You have to tell me you love me even if you don't. You are the reason you are treated the way you are. You're fine for now, but, oh wait, she's prettier and better in almost every possible way. I have no desire to get to know who you really are. You don't deserve the respect to be told to your face that I've already moved on. You make me uncomfortable, so I'm not going to enter in. You are overdramatic and therefore shouldn't always be believed. I will not be for, here for you no matter what. You are your own worst enemy. You need help. You are an idiot. You must beg for my affection. As I foolishly dredged up all of this the other night, a couple other things came to mind. It was a sad and lonely kind of night, but then the Holy Spirit reminded me that not only had I learned harsh lessons from men, I had also learned innumerable good things about myself 
from my father and pastors and counselors and my guy friends and some old boyfriends, things like you are heard and understood. You are protected. You're a great leader and I would follow you. You are worth pursuing. I'd trust you with my life. You can't help but be beautiful. You are funny and kind. You are one of the most important people in my life. You are worth standing up for. You are an honorable woman. I am on your side. I love you. I am grateful for all of those words. They have healed me and painted over the harsher ones. And yet I know that there is only one who can speak the deepest, truest truths about me and into me. And this is what God has to say. You are precious and honored in my sight. You are never alone and will never be alone. You are protected at all times. You bring me joy. I sing songs of delight over you. I hear you and give you what you need. I am transforming you into something beautiful. I have adopted you as my child. I will love you completely all the days of your life. I have wounds from men. You have wounds from men. And let's be clear, we have wounded our share of men as well. But we have a God who serves as our husband, heavenly father, and counselor, who leads us out into the desert and desires to speak tenderly to us and bring us the fullest of healings. Hosea 2.14. And so we will let him. Today, come up with your own list of messages received, both bad and good, along with a list of ways God promises to restore your heart. This episode of the All That To Say podcast is sponsored in part by my amazing Patreon patrons. When you become a monthly patron through Patreon, you'll know that you are helping spread the hope and healing of God to more and more women who need his help. And you're able to choose from 10 levels of sponsorship, all with cool thank you gifts, starting as low as $1 per month. Check out patreon.com slash Elizabeth Klein. That's Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Elizabeth Klein. An excerpt from my collection of essays, You're Going to Make It Through, written in 2017. Happy and Crappy. I met my sweet off to college daughter for dinner recently, and she tossed out the question, what's your happy and crappy? I loved that. Just another way to say high and low, but it made me smile. And I loved that it was her idea. And so we both answered. And then I was with a couple of my couple friends and made them all answer it too. But here's something I've been thinking about lately. I've known for 
quite a while now, as in many, many years, that I tend to have a melancholy bent. I'm not known for being happy, happy all the time. Yes, I can laugh hard and I can dance in my kitchen and I can sing with the windows rolled down in my car and I am grateful for my life every single day. But who I really am for the most part is introspective and quiet and totally fine with being on my own a good deal of the time in my house or going for a low-key walk or sitting on my couch with a book. I don't lead a big, loud, happy, happy life. And now, even more so, walking through this season of sadness that I can't quite shake on my own, telling my doctor a month into my new medication, I just can't get happy back. I am even more acutely aware of my bent towards despondency, that I tend to find this life extraordinarily difficult to live sometimes. And so I struggle with this culture with its quote-unquote life is good t-shirts and my sweet father whose life motto ever since surviving throat cancer is every day is a good day and my husband's belief that everything's going to be okay can leave me feeling like I'm not trying hard enough or as if I'm not grateful enough or like I'm too weak or just not cut out to be a human being or something. How I wish I could view life like they do every day. I shared with a close friend that as someone who loves and is trying to follow Jesus, I feel shame for being in a depression, that my faith isn't bouncy enough to bounce me back, or more to the point that I guess I don't have enough faith to bounce myself back, that my reserves of joy aren't enough to put a smile on my face and just keep it on there. And how that must make my faith or me look weak or incompetent or not enough. Because sure, it's been a tough stretch, but shouldn't I have just been able to get over all of it? And aren't I supposed to be joyful all the time? And aren't I supposed to give my burdens to God? And don't I believe he's faithful to take care of me? So why all the sighing and frowns and worrying and headaches and upset tummies and need for pills. Why so downcast, oh my soul? I told my friend I feel like I'm letting God and the cause down by not being happy on my own. She said she totally got it, which helped. And then I began listening to an album by one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Sarah Groves, called Floodplain. And she penned these gorgeous lyrics that I have wrapped around myself like a blanket lately. Late nights, long hours, questions are drawn like a thin red line. No comfort left over, no safe harbor in sight. Really, we don't need much, just strength to believe. There's honey in the rock. There's more than we see. In these patches of joy, these stretches of sorrow, there's enough for today there'll be enough tomorrow. In these patches of joy, she sings, these stretches of sorrow. She sings these words as if joy and sorrow hold equal weight and time and space in her life. Something that I thought was only poor little me and something that I thought I had to keep to myself because it made me look incapable, because it made me 
even look perhaps like I thought Jesus is weak or not enough for me or what have you. I've been called weak before when going through my divorce. So perhaps that's why those thoughts are lingering in the back of my head. And it wasn't a compliment like you're so weak. I can see God shining through you. Oh no, it was a slam as in you should be stronger. You should be as strong as so-and-so would be right now. In other words, what's wrong with you that you're not? But here's what I know today. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person who feels the way I feel. I believe God made me to feel deeply. And when someone feels as deeply as I do, the bouncing back from pain takes a bit longer than the average gal. Some people may not like this about me, but I maybe don't care. Because when I strip away the fear of letting others down, and I remember that I'm not letting God down, you know, because he just crazy loves me, and that it's not my job to care what others think, then all that's underneath is me really needing to be okay with how I'm wired up. And for the most part, I truly am. Even in the yuckiest, rawest, cryingest moments, I'd rather see life the way I see life than the way any other person sees life even if it makes life hard to see and take in sometimes. I will have both more patches of joy and stretches of sorrow over and over again, cycling in and out of my life for the rest of my life. And they will each hit me with varying levels of pain and hope, all intermingled. And as long as I'm bringing them all to Jesus, that's all I really need to care about. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed.